Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Girl on the Train. The Girl on the Train was written by Paula Hawkins and published in 2015. And the film adaptation, which came out in 2016, uh, was directed by Tate Taylor. And there's a couple really great things about this episode that I'm excited to share. First off, this is a listener-requested episode. One of our faithful listeners, Anna, messaged us... um, What, like six months ago? Yeah, she messaged us a while ago, yeah, and requested this episode. She actually sent us um, some fan mail in the mail. Some super, super awesome fan mail that's still on her fridge. And was like, oh, I think this would be a great episode, so we definitely... We added it to our list, so excited to do a listener-requested episode. And it's also... Our hundredth episode. Our hundredth adaptation. Yes. One hundred books to movies. If you're on a um, media player that shows the number, I think it'll say 105 episodes, but we have a couple bonus. Yeah. And it, the It movies we're counting as one. So yeah. it's our hundredth adaptation. Yeah. We're almost up to four years of doing this podcast, and it's just crazy to think about that. We've been doing this for quite a while now. Ian, you've at least read 100 books. I know. I (laughs) used to not read. I I shouldn't say that. I did not read a lot uh, in college, and we started reading a bit more. Yeah, we we would kind of read. The two of us have like our own little book club when we started dating. Yeah, it was almost like a a, a prototype of this where we read a chapter and then talk on the phone, and that's Mm -hmm. when we were not long distance, but, you know, not living together, so... Yeah, one just 100 adaptations. Yeah. It's wild. It's been really fun. Um, we didn't plan for this one to be the 100th, so it doesn't have like <laughs> any particular significance. No. It just happened. And so no. we're like, oh, cool, our 100th adaptation. So yeah, it's really exciting. We're so happy to, to continue this podcast, um, and we still love doing it. So expect... A hundred more. A hundred more. A thousand more. (laughs) Until we're dead. (laughs) But let's talk about the girl, Ian. Let's talk about the train. But which girl, Adina? Let's talk about this romance between the girl and the train. Am I I confusing stories? This is not right. (laughs) I would like to say my first complaint, not enough train. I agree. I expected way more train train in this story. I wanted the train to be part of like the murder plot. Like somehow... Like someone got thrown in front of a train. I actually really thought that you were going to be right about that. Yeah. And although you were not, <laughs> uh, there is a death by heavy handed metaphor at the end that rivals <laughs> being hit by a train. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah. I just feel like the train had more to offer. Like, yeah. Cause I mean, once she's like involved in the main plot of the story, where's the train? Yeah. You know, it's like when there's a cat in a movie that we really love. We're yeah. like, where's the cat in this scene? We need more cat. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start off by talking about the, uh, the narrative structure of this story a little bit though. Yeah. Because uh, it is a uh, a nonlinear uh, narrative. We do kind of jump around between different characters at different points in time. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, the book is written in a way that's, uh, I, I don't want to say like super different or anything, but it's kind of each chapter is almost recounting what has already happened in like an evening or a morning or something like that. Yeah, they're sort of set up like diary entries in the way that, if you would write in a diary, you kind of like summarize what happened to you that day or the day before. 
Um, and that's what these narrative parts of the book do. So when Rachel is, she's not actually writing, but she's essentially writing her story like in the morning. She kind of recaps the night before. And it's the same way uh, with Megan and Anna's perspectives because we get all three um, throughout the book. And so it kind of, it it's this odd perspective because all the action that happens in this book happens like not off the page, but you're hearing about it afterward. So it's not yeah. happening like in real time. So it's not like Rachel is talking with Tom or with Scott. She's talking about it later and being like, oh, I was at Scott's and then this thing happened. So she's sort of reflecting on it afterwards, which is something that you might not notice at first, but it does kind of give a weird flavor to some of these dramatic action scenes that happen later. Yeah. And I will say, like, the finale is not this way. Like, the finale, like, the big, big scene at the end does happen in real time. I guess that's true. But the rest of them don't. It kind of, I don't want to say it, like, deflated tension or suspense, but in a a way it does. Like, when you're recapping something you don't have that urgency like you do get the advantage of like a chapter can be given with like oh my god I never should have gone to yeah. see Scott because mm-hmm. you know and then you can kind of like almost foreshadow each chapter yeah but I don't know it's like it is as if you were reading diary entries where I don't know in a story like this it's not that I really expect the main character to get killed or something yeah but when the story is written that way you're kind of always like well that could never happen because the story's told in kind of like a looking back kind of way. And how could you tell about a part like that if you're looking back? Now, it is true, you know, the ending is written more in real time, but then that's kind of breaking the convention of it, so. Yeah, I'm just curious why the author chose to write the book in this way, and maybe it was easier for her to tell the story. And I'm sure she made the choice for a specific reason because, you know, authors do, but I'd be curious to know why. And I couldn't find anything online about like why she chose to write it this way, but it's definitely interesting and different, a different style. The movie doesn't have this, but it does have some voiceover um, by Emily Blunt as Rachel. And Megan also kind of talks out loud to like her therapist sometimes so those portions where the the characters are sort of reflecting internally in the book are more out loud in the movie yeah yeah so let's talk a little bit about uh the character of rachel you know the girl the girl on the train on the train (laughs) and kind of like when the story begins because you know she rachel has been through a lot by like the start of the story. Yeah. And I feel like the book does a lot of kind of like catching you up to speed very quickly. Like there's a lot of backstory basically. Yeah. We figure out pretty quickly that Rachel is an alcoholic. Uh, There's a great scene that I really like in the movie where that woman sits next to her on the train with the baby and Rachel's like, Oh, it's a cute baby, but she's being so creepy. And like the woman can tell that she's like drunk yeah. And it's super uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, Emily Blunt, I'll just say for now, actually plays drunk very well, which I genuinely think is one of the hardest things for actors to do is to play drunk. Yeah. I, I don't know. It always just comes across as like overacting mm-hmm. or but like I think Emily Blunt plays someone who's drunk who in a lot of instances, is trying to hide that. Yeah. Like, in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, she's not being overly... She's just kind of slurring her words a little. And being, is, like, overly enthusiastic. 
Um, we also find out that she is divorced and figure out pretty quickly kind of like the alcoholism ruined her marriage. Mm-hmm. And the alcoholism came about because they wanted to have a kid, her yeah. and her ex-husband, Tom. Uh, but uh, they weren't able to. She is barren, which I don't. Is that like the appropriate term for that? I think infertile. Infertile is better. Because yeah. barren sounds so. Yeah, that sounds biblical. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and like, I really don't like this word. Yeah, as soon as you said it, I was like, why did you say that? She's barren. <laughs> I just didn't know what the other better word would be. But yeah, infertile. and they don't really know why. And the infertility was really tough on Rachel. And that kind of brought her into this alcoholism and then her marriage broke down and then her husband cheated on her and divorced her and now lives with his new wife and baby in the house that they used to live in. Yes. And on top of all this, you might be like at the beginning of the story, you know, she's riding the train every morning into London, every evening going back. And you're kind of like, what's her job? Yeah. And I, I, I know I was like, you know, kind of waiting for her to kind of get into like what her job was or, you know, where she's going. And then eventually you find out that she was fired from her job for being an alcoholic. Yeah. And she hasn't told her roommate yet. So she's just riding the train <laughs> into London every day. Yeah. Milling around. <laughs> Waking up really early to get on this train, yes. too. She's like, very dedicated to this lie. <laughs> she loves the train, though. She likes being on it. It's like the only structure she has in her life anymore is getting yeah. on the train, milling around London. Or if you're watching the movie, it takes place in New York City. Um, and then kind of coming home and, and drinking. But... Yeah, it's not great. I feel really bad for her roommate, Kathy. Kathy. We have to talk about Kathy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the actress's name Laura in the Prebon. film. Thank you. <laughs> um, from that 70s show and Orange is the New Black. Yeah. She was, she was an interesting choice because Kathy in the book is just described as being like just very like nice. A kind of a pushover. Uh, and obviously that actress in the film gives her a little bit more edge. Yeah. You know, she seems more like a badass kind of mm -hmm. still kind, still looking out for Rachel. Uh, but you know, in the book, Rachel is like, uh, you know, Kathy's like, Kathy likes to be <laughs> nice. Like she likes to think of herself as being nice. And I'm like, she fucking is nice. Yeah. She's putting up with you, Rachel. And Rachel has lived with her for two years in her apartment, in this bedroom, being an alcoholic, like, the whole time. Like, at one point in the story, she comes home drunk and throws up on the stairs. Yeah. And leaves it. Yeah. And at another point, she, like, cuts herself in the kitchen and, like, gets blood everywhere and leaves raw chicken out and then falls asleep in her bed. I'm like, what? Yeah. C Kathy is a saint. For, she like, tries to hook her up with a job in yes. the book. Oh, my God. She, yeah. like, is trying to, I mean, like, within reason, help her, like, you know, try to kind of get clean or get yeah. sober. Uh, yeah. It just, I found it really ironic that Rachel is like, uh, she's kind of like, I don't know, not shallow, but kind of like. Yeah, she dismisses her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, she is a saint. Yes. <laughs> Poor Kathy. Poor Kathy. I wanted to know what happened with Kathy. <laughs> I know, because she has a boyfriend who's kind of shitty. Yeah. Wow, we really don't get anything with Kathy at the end. No. Nothing. She does say like, oh, Kathy served me my last drink before I like got really oh, sober. Yeah. But and also in the film, she really just kind of drops out of the film completely. Yeah. Like halfway through, I want to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Rachel's life is basically a total disaster. <laughs> 
really hits you hard, I think, especially in the book, just because it's like, you might be wondering what led this woman to being sad and drunk on a train. <laughs> oh, well, let me tell you. <laughs> and it just kind of like really lays it out in the first like 50 pages of the book. Yeah. And to make things worse, so Rachel cannot get over the fact that she lost her husband. Um, she's still clearly in love with him and is like kind of like looks at his Facebook. We see that in the movie, calls him a lot um, in the book and everything. And she also has to pass by their old house and where he lives now with his new family um, on her way to work, quote unquote. <laughs> um, so she sees the house like every day, twice a day. And is always like looking to see if she can see Anna, the new woman and like the baby. And she also sees this other couple that lives a few uh, doors down from her old house. Yeah. And this couple, they weren't there when uh, she used to live on that street. So she doesn't know their names. She refers to them as uh, Jess and Jason. Mm -hmm. But she's kind of created this like fantasy in her own head of like their lives. She kind of imagines like what their jobs are. She sees them like being very, like, affectionate to each other on their little terrace that yeah. kind of looks over the tracks. And she really has kind of, like, weirdly idealized this couple that she knows nothing about. Yeah, she's kind of obsessed with them. It's really weird. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, she watches them have sex one time. <laughs> <laughs> they are just straight fucking standing up, like, in front of a window so you can window, really see it all. In front of the train, yeah. I'm like, what is happening? Wouldn't you have curtains on those windows, like, after you definitely all would. those years of a train just continuously <laughs> going past? I don't know, maybe they're into that. Yeah, it could maybe be. Maybe they're like, honey, the train's coming, let's get ready. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it right now. <laughs> um, but this illusion is shattered when one day on the train, she sees the woman out on the terrace with a different man. A different man who isn't Jason and she is just this is just devastating to her how can how can yeah. Jess do this to Jason yeah his name maybe clearly projecting her trauma over being cheated on by v her husband. very overtly yeah 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 in the film uh she then well I mean in both versions I think it's the same day yeah uh she goes into London and gets just plastered yeah unbelievably drunk and there's a scene in the film that's kind of interesting where <laughs> she's drinking with a friend we don't know who this woman we is we don't know who she is we are never told who she is honestly it's so funny because Ian and I both thought that this woman was not real Be yeah because <laughs> they go into the bathroom and uh, Rachel's just acting super drunk and crazy. She's like writing on the mirror with like lipstick. Yeah. And her friend is like, okay. And then her <laughs> friend kind of disappears. I assume she went into a bathroom stall. Yeah. Uh, maybe she left the bathroom. Maybe. That would make more sense because then Rachel begins like this hushed monologue to herself, like looking in the mirror about like how could Jess, how could Jess do this to Jason? And like, yeah. she's so upset and like, how she wants to like kill her basically. Yeah. And during this whole time, like, I'm kind of like, where's her friend? Like her yeah. friend should really like help her right now or step in or something. But like the friend, we, you literally never see her again. No. And we were both like, is she real? Yeah. We were expecting like one of those flashback scenes where you realize like that whole time the woman wasn't real and it was just <laughs> Rachel. 
being drunk by herself and like I was expecting that but that didn't happen. that would be the funniest twist because like other plenty of other movies have done that yeah twist, but it'd be funny to do it with just like the fight club twist yeah basically. but like one woman from one scene that's like not really important at yeah. all <laughs> it's a big reveal but that's not important to no the plot. not at all I do want to say though um Emily Blunt does bring her A-game to this film, I think. I agree. Um, You know, I said before, like, I think she plays subtle drunk really well. Mm -hmm. But she also plays, like, really intense drunk. Yeah. Like, this scene of her, like, kind of talking crazily in her own reflection in the mirror. Yeah. uh, Is really good, actually. Yeah, it's very creepy and disturbing. Yeah, it almost shouldn't work, Mm -hmm. I think, because it's, like, so kind of, like, so much. But I think, like, her doing it in, like, the hushed tones works so well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, everyone else in the cast, I think, is pretty fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the woman who plays Megan comes across as a little dull in certain scenes. Yeah. I mean, I just don't... I feel like Emily Blunt is really the standout performer in this movie. Yes. Everybody else is just kind of meh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like I had a problem with it, but I didn't think it was that great, honestly. No, I, I totally agree. But yeah, Emily Blunt is really the main uh, attraction, I'll say, of this film, her performance. Yeah. She really gives it her all, I'd say. Yeah, so they definitely cast the role of Rachel well. Yeah. So we've talked about Rachel. Let's talk about Megan. And we realize that Megan is the woman from the house that Rachel has been looking at, who she dubbed Jess, you know? Yes. Megan is her real name. And it's interesting, in the movie, we go back like six months, and in the book, we go back like a year or so and Mm -hmm. get kind of like Megan's perspective. And Ian and I are just going to talk basically about Megan's entire storyline here, just because it makes more sense. Let's talk about Megan's personality a bit, because we get a lot about how she's really like kind of dissatisfied in her life. She feels like she always wants to try something new and kind of shift from thing to thing. And she seems like a little bit flaky, I guess is a good word. Yeah. At one point she, when she's thinking about wanting to get a new job or something, she's like, maybe I'll like become a chef or maybe I'll like do this. And she's like, the world is my oyster. But also feeling very like lost at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Like wanting something different, but not exactly knowing why. Mm hmm. Yeah, and she is also kind of, like, very manic in in a way, like... Yeah. Um, like you said, not just feeling, like, kind of aimless, but, like, can't sleep, doesn't know what she wants, feels like she needs to do something, like, maybe acting kind of, like, chaotically in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree. At first, I liked this juxtaposition to Rachel, like, yeah. this kind of different energy, But it was also a lot when kind of reading about the character. Yeah, because she's kind of a mess in her own way. Yeah. Not the same mess as Rachel, but different. And she's married to Scott, and their marriage seems troubled. And it's one of those things, like, Scott seems like he really is into her and is like, I gave you this life. Like you can just be a stay at home wife. You don't even have to do anything, but like also is sort of like messed up. And like once, uh, Megan starts going to therapy, some stuff starts coming out about her relationship with Scott and how he's very possessive of her and like reads her emails and like is always checking up on her and doesn't really trust her, which 
her therapist points out, is a form of emotional abuse. Yeah, and kind of like, this isn't, you, sh- you shouldn't just be comfortable with this. This isn't right. Yeah. Yeah, but her, her therapy, I think, is kind of this big kicking off point for her. She starts working out, like, yeah. a lot of things. And also kind of has this, like, sexual tension with her therapist. Yes, and this made me so upset. I know that we're supposed to, this is, like, the red herring in the story, right? Yeah. You know, because we're like oh, she's having like a sexual relationship with her therapist. And like, that's the, that's the thing. But like, this is a woman who has trauma in her past, Mm -hmm. like a lot of trauma and is not dealing with it in a healthy way. Yeah. And finally she's like, I do need help. I'm going to go to therapy. And it seems like he is helping her in a way but he is also not because he's kissing her and like seems romantically into her. And this is just like such a betrayal and like a failure as like a medical professional. And it just makes me so sad because clearly Megan just needed like one person to like do their job and like do it well and like be there for her in a way that wasn't like, Tor- like horribly ethically wrong, you know? Yes. And this guy like couldn't even do that. I know. And it's like such a cliche too. I know. Like the therapist relationship turning sexual and that like tension and stuff. Because like how many times have we said in an episode this whole thing could yes. have been uh, avoided if someone had gone to therapy? Yep. And I just don't like, I just feel like therapy is so frequently misrepresented in media, whether it's like, oh, the sexual tension between therapist and patient or like building up to like the breakthrough moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where they have like a huge revelation and like, you know, that's coming when really therapy is more just about like the continuous effort more than waiting for that moment. Yeah, I agree. It was just like really disappointing. And I felt very frustrated because I literally felt like every single man in this story was just terrible. Every single man. Except for one. That we'll get to. (laughs) There's one man I think held up. Uh, But yeah, God, there there was one scene in the film that was like so ridiculous that I just started like laughing at where Megan is in one of her therapy appointments. And I do appreciate the film, I think, grounds its flashbacks in a way where it's pretty much. Any flashback to Megan is usually her with her therapist, which I think like helps kind of like keep the timeline straight in your head. You're like, okay, I understand when we're seeing Megan, it's like this backstory of her in therapy, finding out about her. Yeah. But there's a scene in one of her sessions where she starts to hit on the doctor, (laughs) Kamal, and she puts her hands on him and he's like, hey, like, don't do that. And yeah. then she starts like sucking on his finger. Yeah. And he's just like letting her. But he's like, don't stop. Stop it. No, stop, stop. doing it. <laughs> stop that. But he's like not even trying to pull his hand away. Oh my God. And then she starts like slapping him and he restrains her. And then suddenly out of nowhere starts shouting at her in a foreign language. Yeah. Spanish. And then, she, I and then think? she's like, oh, this soothes me and calmed me. And I'm like. <laughs> Wait, what is happening? I also want to mention the movie scene where she's like touching herself in oh, his office. Yeah. I just, I do feel like the movie really over-sexualizes Megan. Oh, yeah. Like way more than the book does. Yeah, because I mean, the book, I think, at least that's compensated with like at least understanding her like mental point of view and like what's going yeah. on with her. 
Whereas the film, it just seems like she's... Literally, I feel like every scene with Megan, it's either her getting fucked against a tree, getting fucked against a window, sucking on Kamal's fingers. Even in the most (laughs) tragic scene of her backstory, she's naked. Yeah. Yeah, I don't love that. No. It's just, like, constant. Yeah. Um... But yeah, God, that scene when he starts shouting. Also, <laughs> it's worth mentioning that um, the role of the therapist is like kind of whitewashed in this story. Yeah. Uh, originally, the character of Kamal is uh, Middle Eastern mm-hmm. or Indian. Uh, I'm trying to remember in the book, but in Bosnian. The, Bosnian. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the film, I think he's uh, from Spain. Yeah. Because he starts shouting at her, I think, in Spanish. <laughs> yeah. Which just came out of nowhere. I know. <laughs> What's happening? Because I just thought he was yelling at her, but I couldn't understand what he was saying. And then I was like, oh, that's a different language. Yeah. But it's. <laughs> but yeah. Maybe no that's a therapy tactic. Yeah, that's his like technique. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we find out, too, that Megan has a lover. And the book and movie kind of try to set it up like we know that she's been like flirting and kind of into her therapist. So we're not sure or we're led to believe that these episodes with her lover that we hear about or see in the movie are with the therapist, Kamal. Um, but it's a little bit unclear. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which I guess could also explain why that character was kind of uh, whitewashed in a way. Yeah. Um, but that aside for the moment, um, we do, after her many therapy sessions, she does come around to kind of like, revealing this kind of dark secret of her past Mm -hmm. that she's been hiding and she's finally able to sit down with kamal and tell him about this incident that happened like 10 years ago Mm -hmm. where she was she wasn't a teenager anymore she was like 17 she was 17 okay yeah uh she was living with kind of like an older man in this pretty rundown isolated cabin yeah and she got pregnant and ended up just having the kid like by herself not even in a hospital Mm -hmm. i shouldn't say by herself they had like um someone else there to help yeah but uh so they had this baby this newborn baby and she was such a young mother and was like totally not really ready for it Mm -hmm. and this tragically comes to an end when she decides because it's cold in their fucking shack. In the middle of the woods. Yeah, and she's like, I need to get in like a hot bath. And she mm-hmm. takes the baby in with her and she ends up falling asleep and the baby drowns. Yeah, and I think it's also worth mentioning like the drug use that has been happening too. Like yes. with this older guy. And it's just really sad because you do know that like she didn't want this to happen, but you can see how so many different factors contributed to this happening. And it's become this, like, dark secret. Like, you know, she never told anyone. I don't know if, like, the authorities really even knew that she had a baby because she didn't, like, go to a hospital, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so they just buried her on the property. And this has, like, really haunted her for a lot of her life. And I think not getting to talk about it in therapy has really contributed to, like, the state that she's in currently. Yeah. And... I mean, it's good that she's able to, like, tell someone, um, but then she reveals that she's pregnant again, and she's a little bit scared about that. And Kamal is able to, like, listen to her and then also reassure her that, like, you're not the same girl that you were before. Like, yeah. it's totally different now, and you're going to be fine. One of those times when Kamal is, like, very helpful and gives her yeah. a pretty, like, grounded point. I know. This is what we could have had. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We could have had it all. Yes. Rolling in the deep. I just, I do feel like 
the whole thing with Kamal, it's almost like the writer got herself into a bind with it. Yeah. Because she needed Rachel to see Megan with someone else, right? Yeah. But it's not the actual guy. Yeah. But they kissed and Rachel had to think that they were like having an affair, right? And you had Mm -hmm. to think so as the author. So there's like all these scenes where like Megan is really pouring her heart out to Kamal and then like kisses him afterward. And I'm like, what is this? I know. Like, what is this? God, yeah, that's uh, that's a really good question. Yeah, Megan's character is, man, I really wanted her to maybe be like a little more grounded because it's t- it, it's really tough because we go back and forth primarily yeah. between Rachel and Megan. Yeah. Like Megan's like living situation is obviously like better than mm-hmm. Rachel's, but like her emotional state is still like really bad. Yeah. Like she's still going through a lot of things right now. Having an affair, but also she is unlikable in a lot of ways too. Like mm-hmm. at one point when uh, Kamal turns down her advances uh, during a therapy session. She like slaps him yeah. and like bites his lip. And then on her drive home, she's like plotting about how she can like get him fired. Maybe yeah. like, she doesn't go through with it. But moments like that, you're just kind of like, ah, come on, Megan, like, come on, like, yeah. pull it together. We can <laughs> it do is this. a little exhausting, like kind of flipping between her and Rachel. I wish just one of these two characters was like a little more, uh, stable yeah because i think that would have like complimented the i would have been much more uh equipped diving back into rachel's yeah (laughs) shitty life if like (laughs) megan's was more of a life raft like i'm not saying it couldn't be interesting or you know what i mean like um like i still think she could have had this past that she's dealing with i think she could have been dealing with like a a lot of this stuff still yeah but maybe with just a little bit less of the mania yeah going on i agree so that was pretty much like the large bulk of Megan's storyline yeah. uh, throughout the story. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to kind of like where Rachel is uh, near the start of the story. She yeah. had a bad day, got totally plastered in London, which, by the way, we haven't talked about this. The uh, book takes place in London yeah. and outside of London and the film takes place in New York and outside of New York. But Emily Blunt still has a British accent, which was kind of funny because we didn't know going into the film where it took place. Yeah. So, you know, it starts with Emily Blunt and she has her British accent. We're like, okay. It's in London then. Then the next person I noticed in like who was talking, I think was like Megan. And I was like, oh, but Megan's from the US, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then Kamal was also like speaking in an American accent. I was like, oh, okay. So is it two American accent people in London or is one... British person in the U.S. And then finally (laughs) it was resolved. Yeah, so uh, she kind of gets overly drunk in the city. And on her way back, she's still stewing about seeing Megan Mm -hmm. kissing a man who we know is uh, the therapist later on. But yeah, uh, and she decides spontaneously to get off on get off the train in that town, in that area. And. Who knows what? Yeah. And this is after the bathroom incident in the movie. So she's really, uh, really like really, really fucked up (laughs) at this point. And we 
kind of come back to Rachel and she's waking up in her bedroom and she's like bloody. She has bruises on her body. Like she's just really fucked up. And she kind she doesn't really remember much about the night before. Like she remembers some things, but really not anything. And she's like, oh fuck, like what did I do? And like, this is clearly like a kind of common occurrence for her. Yeah. Like waking up and not remembering what happened the night before. She talks about like, she'll sometimes have bruises. Like if someone like, if she falls and someone catches her yeah. or helps her up, like she'll have like finger marks on her, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. The bloodied head is a little bit more than she's used to, but yeah. she, you know, is pretty sure some shit went down last night. She's just not sure to what extent yet. Yeah. And she hears from Tom at some point that like she harassed Anna or she did something and Tom was looking for her. So she knows that she was in this town. She was walking around and maybe went to see Tom or something and then eventually made her way home. But pretty soon after she wakes up and is kind of going about her day and trying to piece together what happened, she finds out from the news that Megan, the woman that she's been watching and the woman she just saw with another man, is now missing. Yeah. And this is kind of like really startling to her, especially the fact that like, oh my God, I was there in that town the night that um, she disappeared and... I was mad at her for doing something and I woke up with blood on me. Was it my blood? I think it was my blood, but maybe not all of that blood was my blood. Yeah. So immediately the idea comes to mind that like maybe Rachel did some shit last night. Mm -hmm. Who knows what she could have done? Uh, She was very, very, very drunk. So like, I don't know. The story kind of seems to create this idea that like maybe Rachel killed her. But also I think we're like, I mean, she was too inebriated. <laughs> like, if she had killed her, it would have just been, like, on the street, and they yeah. would have, like, found her body. She, I don't think she was, like, in a position to kill someone and then, like, hide the <laughs> body effectively. No, and, like, multiple people in the book and movie try to be like, well, maybe Rachel did it. Like, Anna at one time is like, oh, yeah. maybe Rachel killed Megan. And then in the movie, the police detective is like, did you kill her? And I'm like are you crazy? Like, are (laughs) all of you crazy? Literally, this is a woman who has, like, no muscle tone on her body. Like, they talk about how she's kind of overweight. Like, she's kind of let herself go. Um, I mean, unfortunately, like, when you kill someone, you do have to have, like, a lot of strength in order to, like, kill someone and then also, like, to, like, move their body. Yeah. Um, And then also the fact that, like, she was so drunk, there's no way she would have been able to pull that off successfully. Like, there would have been, like, a trail of blood, like, (laughs) leading to, like, the bushes. They would have found her trying to, like, mop up the blood with, like, a Kleenex, like, on the street or something. Yeah. It would not have been, like, the the crime of the century. Yeah. So, yeah, the whole idea of this being, like, a red herring that Rachel was the killer. Like, I believe she had some kind of encounter. Obviously, she's the main character. Like, she probably was had some connection to yeah. what happened. But, like, the idea that she did it was kind of a pretty far reach for me. Yeah, I agree. The police do question her, though. And it's not clear. And we were talking about this right before recording the episode. We're like, how did the police know that Rachel was in the area? Yeah, it's never explained. Like, the police just show up to her apartment 
and start questioning her about yeah. like, where were you Saturday night? Oh, well, um, I, I went to work and then I went, I actually stopped at Whitney. Oh, well, what did you do there? Well, from this time to this time. And yeah. um, like it just immediately goes into it and we never get an explanation. It's like, who directed the police's attention to her? Yeah. And I think this is like a kind of recurring theme in in the story of like, yeah how do people know about things and where do they find things out and why do things happen? Yeah, I feel like it becomes very obvious in the movie, but I do think there are some of these same threads in the novel as well yes. that are very vague. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So yeah, the police just kind of show up and start questioning her. And, you know, in the film, she is just kind of like lying to them a little bit, like about the timeline, about where mm-hmm. she was and how most importantly, how drunk she was. Yeah. And but in the book, oh, my God, <laughs> she just like she straight up lies to them about having a job and where she was and all this and not other being stuff. Drunk. Yeah. yeah, not being drunk and all that stuff. And you're like, oh, God, Rachel. But then she's like, you know what? That was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. Like, I should just go to the police station and clear up with them. Yeah. What happened that night, even if it makes me look kind of suspicious. So then in the book, she proceeds to go to the police station like the next day. Yeah. Sit down with those detectives again and then act like the guiltiest person (laughs) and most suspicious individual anyone has ever met. Like she's. so suspicious. She is like fumbling with like uh, where she was. She is like getting defensive. She's still wanting to lie, even though she went there to tell the truth. She's still like, oh, that didn't really happen, though. Like, I, yeah. no, it wasn't. It wasn't that way. She like tells the truth about her job. Yeah. Which was one of the things. And then she like proceeds to lie about 10 other things. Yeah. And the police kind of confront her with um, a story from Anna about Rachel like breaking into their house, grabbing the baby and just like running off with it into the yard. <laughs> yeah. God, the, the movie scene of this is so funny because <laughs> when Anna comes out and like sees Rachel holding the baby in the yard, she's like, Rachel, Rachel, what are you doing? And then Rachel just like panics and like puts the baby down on the ground and then just takes off into like a field <laughs> b- behind the house. <laughs> Just like a scared deer. She's just like like, puts the baby on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there are multiple parts in this film because, I mean, this is a pretty, uh, I don't want to say self-serious film. Yeah. But it it plays it pretty straight. There's not a lot of not a lot of comedy. If if any, I actually can't think of any moments that are played for any amount of humor. No, Um, which is a gamble because some scenes that are meant to be. dramatic or what have you end up just coming across as being like really funny. Yeah. This being one of them. This was definitely one of them. Yeah. And we also find out kind of more in this scene too, about like Rachel's obsession with Tom and Anna and like how she calls him a lot. She calls their house a lot. She kind of like shows up outside their house or in this town a lot too. Um, And kind of just implying like, as if we need more proof of how unstable Rachel is. Here it is. Yeah. And this leads Rachel to find like this newfound conviction. She wants to get sober now. She doesn't need drinking because she's going to figure out what happened to Megan. She's going to solve the case. She's going to solve the case. And 
my God. Like, I, I think it's true for both versions. Yeah. Like, I think it's true for movie and book that, like, what the fuck is she talking about? <laughs> like, who is she to, like, even get involved in this? I know. Who is she to think that she can, like, uncover any evidence that, like, the police haven't found? Yeah. Who does she think she is? But the book, especially, it, it's just so transparent how delusional she is. Yeah. How, like, how ill, unprepared she is for this. Like, the yeah. scene in the police station is so cringy <laughs> because she walks in there being like, I have these two in the palm of my hands. Like, yeah. I have my ace card I can play where I can tell them. I saw Megan kissing someone. Yeah. And instead of telling them early on, she waits until they think she's super suspicious. <laughs> and then she's like, um, um, but did I tell you that I saw Megan uh, having an affair with someone? And they're like, Excuse me? You're seem you seem like a really trustworthy source. <laughs> yeah, it definitely doesn't seem like you're trying to like push suspicion elsewhere right now. Yeah, she gets this idea in her head that she's gonna like help exonerate Scott. Because of course Scott as the husband is the number one suspect of Megan's disappearance and possible murder. And Rachel is like, oh, but I know Scott. You know, all those times I saw him on the terrace or porch or whatever, like bringing Megan coffee or like kissing her like a serial killer or like a murderer wouldn't do that. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking what about? What the fuck are you talking about? And yeah. Yeah. She's so certain of his innocence. And I genuinely, honestly, throughout the entirety of this book, could not discern how I was supposed to feel about Rachel. I'm like, am I supposed to think she's as delusional as she comes across? Like, yeah. am I supposed to actually believe that she can help with this case, that she's actually going to contribute in a positive way to like what's going on? Yeah. Or am I supposed to see her for being the crazy person that she is? I think it, we're supposed to see Rachel as being delusional and very misguided. I think the book could have made it a little clearer, especially when things turn around and she realizes that she's been kind of like making a mistake in, re in regards to Scott. I feel like that should have been a little stronger. Yeah, I don't think she ever faces the consequences. I mean, she does to a degree, yeah. but I think emotionally she doesn't like absorb. There's a lot of other things happening at this time. So like... When so she she's like, Scott is innocent. Scott is innocent. I have to help him. And then, of course, you know, he kind of turns on her when he realizes she's been lying to him this whole time. Yeah. And he's somewhat violent with her. And it's very traumatic for her. And so I'm not saying that the action and the what happens isn't like strong enough. I'm just saying like her response to it. Yeah. Isn't. And then there's also like at the same time, she's sort of remembering a lot of stuff and kind of having a lot of revelations. So it sort of gets lost in all that other stuff. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. So she goes to Scott yeah. and once again in the film, she just like shows up at his house. Yeah. And he's like, oh, hey, come on in. He's like, so you were friends with Megan, right? Yeah. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, and you wanted to tell me something. And it's like one of those situations where it's like, okay, you can glean from this like some like, okay, she maybe looked up his phone number and like texted like, yeah. I don't know. You can kind of like fill in the blanks yourself. And for maybe one scene in a movie like that, yeah. it's like you can get away with that. 
there's just so many parts in this film yeah. where it's just like a character shows up somewhere else. Yeah, Scott shows up at her house at one point. And in the book, you know that he called her and was like, hey, can I come over? Like, I just need to be away from all like the reporters right now. And so she was like, oh, yeah, come over and gives him her address, I guess. And in the film, he just shows up at her house one day. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, hey. <laughs> No question about, like, how do you know where I live? Yeah. Similarly, Megan shows up to her therapist's house in the film. Yeah. No explanation for how she knows where he lives. Um, God, there was at least one other example of that, of a character just like, oh, oh, later when um, Rachel goes to see Kamal in a therapy session. Like, I get she could just, like... Look him up. Look him up and schedule an appointment. But, like, when you start skipping all those, like middle scenes of setup to leading to you leading you to what is going to happen it just feels like things are happening and i think too like in the end when we see in the movie like megan sees rachel in that tunnel yeah and she says to tom like oh rachel's there and we're like but megan doesn't know who rachel is right yeah or at least it's never made clear to us that she would know. No. Like, once again, I don't know, she could have seen a photo on Tom's phone or something. Like, it's not, like, a crazy thing that she would know. Yeah. But we need to kind of have that filled in for us. It makes it really difficult to follow the story. It does, because, you know, your gut reaction is, oh, Megan wouldn't know who that is. And then she's like, hey, Rachel's over there. And you're like, yeah. oh, I... I guess they know I each guess other. she does. Like... Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of... um moments of that but just to kind of like wrap up the scott thing yeah you know she meets scott she lies to scott about knowing who megan was yeah and she tells scott about the affair Mm -hmm. once again why is she doing this like she she, already told the police she already told the police yeah so why does scott knowing about this do anything do anything and in the film it's especially unclear yeah she just shows up and tells scott yeah. Who she doesn't know at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the book is already flimsy on its like rationale for that, but the book doesn't. The movie doesn't even bother to give one. No, and then it's like they just hang out, and I don't know if Rachel thinks she's gonna like solve the crime or if she needs to like be there for Scott. But she's clearly like putting this like idealized version of what she saw from the train on him, and almost like wanting to be with him. But maybe not actually be with him, but be with this like idealized version of him and kind of view him as this perfect guy. Yeah. And but it's like really sad because I mean, I think at this point in the story, you still think Scott could have killed her. And other people are like, hey, Rachel, maybe don't hang out with this guy. He maybe killed his wife. Yeah. Um, But if he's not guilty, he's dealing with the death. And murder of his wife. Yeah. Who, whose body they have found yeah. at, at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And they also discovered that she was pregnant. Yeah. So Scott is dealing with a lot right now. Yeah. And I'm not saying when he finds out Megan's been lying. To, or when, I'm sorry, when Rachel <laughs> has been lying to him. Yeah. Like, he reacts violently. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that's called for. No. But Rachel has been lying to... And essentially manipulating a man who is going through severe stress. Yeah. A really, really heavy He's situation. very unstable. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I don't really have much sympathy for Rachel in this sequence. And, no. And once again, we were saying how, like, 
she never comes to any kind of like conclusion about like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done this because at least in the um, in the book, I can't remember in the film after he attacks her and kind of chokes her and she he lets her go. Yeah, but he kind of vaguely threatens her. She immediately goes to the police and is like, oh, my God, it's Scott. Scott's the killer. I shouldn't have been saying. I know I said it's the therapist. It's Scott. It's definitely 100 percent Scott now. I'm positive because I saw this photo. Right. He had a photo. It in was his, cracked. Yeah. And it was cracked. It was like cracked over his face and it looked like very suspicious. And the detective is just like, what are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? What are you talking about? We told you to stay away. Yeah. So like that should have been a realization for um, Rachel about like wow I'm causing a lot of pain and yeah. definitely getting involved in I'm making things. it worse yeah I'm making it worse I shouldn't be involved instead she's like time to double down <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, just to add a couple other things to this you know when we talked about like how do characters know where other people live and stuff you know that felt more specifically to the movie yeah um, but there were other things maybe a little more specifically to the book that also fell in this like vagueness category mm-hmm. uh you know one of them being like the presence of the media yeah in this story where you know it's talked about like scott's being hounded by the media right at one point that's why he goes to rachel's place because like there's news trucks outside of his house yeah but at other points in the story rachel goes to his house like a couple different times yeah and no if, one's there it, yeah it doesn't seem like anyone's there and if they are like rachel doesn't describe it at all and like no one no one in the media is like wow this strange woman is visiting the husband of the woman that went missing maybe that's suspicious who is she like what's going on yeah so it's like it's weird it's like it wants to have that as a element to the story but doesn't isn't really interested in it doesn't want to talk about it Mm -hmm. same with like the police procedural aspect that also feels like really flimsy in this story in a lot of ways yeah in in the movie, maybe even the most, because like, I don't know. At one point, um, Scott is angry because they find out Kamal, the therapist, uh, they let him go and because they didn't think he was the killer. And yeah. now their focus is put back on Scott mm-hmm. and Scott is mad at Rachel because he's like, now they think I did it because I was pointing the finger at the therapist. Like, I'm the reason he was arrested. And I was like. I mean, you're not the reason someone gets arrested. Like, that's the police's job. Yeah. And then later on, Rachel's talking to one of the detectives and she says, like, oh, well, we know it's not Scott now because we got um, surveillance footage of the bar he was at that night, which clears him. I'm like, what? That would be, like, the first (laughs) thing you would do is, like, hey, I was at this bar that night. Okay, Okay, well, let's pull up some. Interview witnesses. Yeah. Let's get the survey. Yeah, I know. When this was, that info was dropped in the movie, I was like, wait, hold up now. (laughs) We were both like, I'm sorry, what? Because, like, that should have been revealed much earlier. And, like, two, that totally clears Scott as a suspect, which I didn't love him being like completely cleared. I know just like out of the blue and like so late in the game. Cause at that point, like the scene before that was Scott freaking out. Cause he's like, I'm their prime suspect again. Yeah. I'm like, have they not told him that he's not the suspect anymore? (laughs) The police are like, wait, I didn't tell him. Did you? (laughs) 
you didn't oh god this is not not part of the the book but no yeah but it, the book can be equally vague about like what's going on with this po- like the police yeah, yeah rachel has a few discussions with the cops but like it's never they they're not good at their job and it doesn't even seem like they're trying to do the job like no. the book doesn't talk about it i mean all. overall it just seems like the book isn't really interested in that no. it wants like the vague threat of the police yeah but like none of the actual like investigative aspect of the story that's because rachel has to do all the investigating (laughs) yeah she's on the case she takes it upon herself because she has to do all the investigating to uh go into detective mode but with the therapist and she's like oh i know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna make an appointment with kamal the therapist and then i'll like figure out from this therapy session if he's the killer at one point (laughs) i shit you not her plan is to Hopefully wait until Kamal, I guess, just has to leave in the middle of her session. Yeah. And then she's going to root around in his <laughs> desk drawers for evidence. She doesn't do this, by the way. No. That was her plan. That was what she was going to do, <laughs> which just once again, her ineptness as like a detective or like anything to help this story along. I can't tell if I'm supposed to take it seriously or not. Yeah. I do think it's funny that she basically tricks herself into going to therapy. Yes. Because she's like, uh, I'm here. I am here for Scott. I'm here to like investigate. But then she's like, well, I'm here. I might as well talk about like all my issues. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, wow, I feel like this is actually really helping me. She has like a breakthrough in the first like 15 minutes of her session. She's like, oh my God. God, what is this? <laughs> what is this magic, this hypnotherapy? <laughs> and apparently Rachel isn't um, as delightfully kissable as Megan was because uh, Kamal doesn't try to make out with her. So No, but Rachel never sucks his fingers That's either. That's true. So. That's true. <laughs> I will say, though, at this point in the story, I was like, I kind of wish it leaned more. Because, I mean, at this point, like, she... Did she have sex with Scott in the book at this point? I think so. Yeah, she does have sex one time with Scott in the book. And now she's seeing the therapist that Megan went to. And it's kind of like she's like adopting Megan's life. Mm. You know what I mean? She's like seeing her husband. Now she's seeing his therapist and like Mm -hmm. her therapist. And I kind of just wish it embraced like this direction of the story. Like I kind of wish this was the story of like, this really sad and kind of like media grabbing murder mystery that kind of happens in like a small community and the sad kind of crazy woman who inserts herself yeah. into the middle of it. For she no, wants to be Megan. Yeah. Cause she, she wants to be Megan or she wants to be important. She wants to be involved and she just blows everything up. Like she's like the antagonist basically. Yeah. yeah. I kind of wish it just really leaned into that. Cause I think that would have been, Because I wanted to hate her that much in the story reading it. I'm like, I want her just to go the whole nine yards with this and just go off the deep end. That would have been interesting. I agree. Yeah. Instead of her like basically solving it at the end, but like not really. Yeah. She's sort of rewarded for her bad behavior, which I don't love. (laughs) No. (laughs) I mean, rewarded is in quotes, I guess. (laughs) She's not really rewarded, but she does like kind of solve it. And the police clearly couldn't have done it on their own. So I don't I don't love that. Her being just like this bumbling idiot is like, well, she did the right thing, I guess, a bit. I suppose. Yeah, like essentially she solves the case just by regaining her lost memories of when she was blackout drunk. Yeah. 
So, like, she doesn't really do any effective sleuthing. No. She just remembers something. Yeah, and it's interesting, at this point in the story, in the book, Rachel, I think the therapy is helping her, and she's also remembering a lot of past incidents when she was with Tom and, like, things that she did when she was drunk, because she's talking about them in therapy. And I do think, in the book, it kind of makes it a connection between the therapy and, like, her remembering some of these memories and remembering that it might not actually be the way she remembers it. It's a little bit different in the movie. Yeah, uh, the film, you know, we see these flashbacks of what we take as reality of her being violent and aggressive towards Tom when she's drunk, causing a scene at um, a party that is being hosted by his boss and his Mm -hmm. boss's wife. And we do get a scene that I really liked in the film where... You know, we've seen that scene. And and the boss's wife is played by Phoebe from Friends. Yeah, Lisa Kudrow. Genius casting. <laughs> Genius. Because I'll tell you why. You see her for only the briefest of moments in that flashback. Yeah. So when she sees her on the train, you as the viewer have to remember who she is. Uh, like immediately. And that's why she needs to be like iconic. Yeah, you need someone who the audience is going to be like, oh, fuck, it's Phoebe again. So... Pretty good casting where that's concerned. Yeah. But um, she goes and talks to Phoebe, who I will call Phoebe because I don't remember <laughs> her name. And Phoebe is like, because she's apologizing. Rachel's like, yeah. listen, about that party where I threw the plate of eggs and caused a scene. I'm so sorry. And Phoebe's like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. you, had, you had a few too many to drink, but then you like laid down and, um, you know, it, it was fine. And And Rachel's like, but Tom got fired because of that. And Phoebe's like, no, Tom got fired because he couldn't keep his dick in his pants. <laughs> and it's just this moment of like Rachel suddenly like re- reevaluating like that um, memory. Yeah. And like everything that like in her past of like, oh, when Tom said I swung a golf club at his head when I was drunk, he swung a golf club at my head because I was drunk. Yeah. And you realize that she's been dealing with this abuse from Tom, this physical abuse and emotional abuse from him. Mm-hmm. She was dealing with that for years when she was going through her alcoholism during their marriage. Yeah. And it's really sad. And I feel like this book, um, especially the book, especially really portrays an accurate and very stark and like depressing, but very accurate look at gaslighting. Yeah. And what that can look like in a relationship. And, you know, we've talked about gaslighting before. You know, it's an abusive, it, it's abuse. You yeah, know? it's emotional abuse. It's where, emotional abuse. Uh, the, a partner, I don't want to even say it's just men. A, no. A partner convinces uh, their significant other that, uh, they can't trust their own instincts or feelings. intelligence or feelings. Like, you know, they kind of tell them contradictory information. You kind of like the term comes from like literally like in a home with a like a gaslight. Yeah. The husband would turn down the light. And if the wife commented on like, oh, is it dim in here? He's like, no, of course it's not. Like you idiot. Flicker it. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of like just emotionally control the person. Yeah. And it is a form of control and it's a form of making someone doubt themselves because that'll make them vulnerable mm-hmm. and it'll make them so that you can control them more. And, you know, coupled with this emotional abuse is actual physical abuse, like him hurting her and then saying that she hurt him, you know, him wanting to be the victim in this scenario. Yeah. And 
wanting everything to be Rachel's fault Mm -hmm. that happened. And yes, it's true that her alcoholism is her own fault. Like there's no one to blame for that, but herself, but like all these other things that Tom said she did and these things that drove him away and drove him to be with someone else or not actually real. It's just really sad. And I feel like the book really portrays this super well. And I, I like the revelation in the movie as well, but just really showing what this type of abuse does to someone. Yeah. And we can kind of see how Rachel has got to this like very broken down mess that she is now. Well, and I think similarly, even if it's not gaslighting, uh, I think so often women are kind of trained from early on to kind of like take on the responsibility of something, specifically like the behavior of men Mm -hmm. and things that happen. Because I also like kind of mirroring Rachel's realization about her abuse from Tom was Megan when she told uh, Kamal, her therapist, the story about the baby. And she was like, I was, I did this. I'm, you know, it was so terrible. And I drove Mm -hmm. my partner away. And Kamal was like, listen, he's like, you know, your partner, Mac also shares a lot of responsibility. Like he, you were a very young new mother yeah. in a left home, alone, left alone, like in a home that didn't really have what you needed. Yeah. And he pretty much fucked off and like left you to try to like fend for yourself. Like he is also very responsible. And I really loved that moment. Cause like, it wasn't the big revelation that like no. Rachel's story was, but a situation where like Megan has been carrying this emotional guilt mm-hmm. um, for a decade and the fact that she never really thought of that aspect of it. Yeah. I think is so telling and interesting. So this was one of, I thought the most rewarding parts of the book. I agree. Was kind of this, cause it felt like a very, um, strong theme that was earned yes. and seeing how it played out in both Rachel and Megan's story, I thought was like really impactful. I agree. Yeah. It's, it is a very meaningful um, part of the story and I, I love that it kind of deals with this topic with a lot of like gravity you know and is it treats it like the way that it deserves because unfortunately this happens a lot in real relationships yeah yeah let's talk about um boring Anna <laughs> let me just tell you Ian that I know that Rachel and Megan are just human disasters I hate Anna. Wow. I cannot stand Anna. Oh my God. I just despised her so much. And all of her sections were so boring. And she was so like smug and like superior. And she was always like hating on Rachel. And okay, she has reason to be afraid of Rachel. Like she literally grabbed her kid, you know? Yeah. Like that's, and you know, she's like still like calling and harassing them. Like that's reasonable. But she's just so like dismissive of her and is like, oh, she's so gross and disgusting and like terrible. And is like, I didn't even feel bad when I was like cheating with the husband. Like I liked it. Like I was into it. And I'm like, wow. okay. so you're literally like, I'm just better than this woman and I have no sympathy for her at all. And I'm just going to be like this smug little like woman in this house now, like with this cute baby in this perfect life. And I close my mind and my eyes to anything that contradicts that. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I did not feel (laughs) nearly the same way, honestly. (laughs) Um, 
like, certainly Anna's parts weren't, like, that interesting. Like, they were pretty, like, all right, she's living her, I guess, suburban dream. Yeah. Um, I did appreciate just, like, the different point of view because i kind of wish what anna was was a little bit more of like what megan was yeah where it's like okay you have rachel whose entire life fell apart because she couldn't reach that um ideal ideal of like the suburban home life like i wanted megan to be a little bit more like i have this thing but i'm not happy yeah you know what i mean um, whereas Megan was a little bit more in the middle, like she kind of didn't want a kid. She never really felt it place. She kind of, yeah. I, I don't know. I didn't quite get that same vibe. Mm-hmm. Whereas I got a little bit more of that from Anna. Like she kind of had everything she wanted, but like didn't really seem that happy at all. Um, and I also appreciated you did get a little bit more of that grounded perspective of Rachel. Yeah. Like, yeah. Rachel stole her fucking kid. <laughs> yeah. And like, no matter how much Rachel is like, I didn't like Actually, I was going to take her <laughs> like, yeah, she Anna still- woke up and found her baby outside with Rachel, who was drunk off her ass. Like, that's terrifying. Yeah, exactly. So I do appreciate Anna's outer perspective to that. That being said, Anna's point of view pops up quite a bit in this story until it's ever given a purpose to. Yeah. And it's just her parts are so boring. Yeah. For the most part. I, I want to point out, though, that like. So every, you know, all of these women are connected to Tom. And of course we like realize Tom's role in this, like at the end. And I think it's very clear and the book makes it very obvious what happened with Rachel and Tom mm. and like why he was able to mano- emotionally manipulate her, yeah. you know? And then Megan is also dealing with some shit. And also like she was only seeing Tom like kind of on the side. But like for Anna to be married to this man and to, as far as we know, not have any like addiction or trauma in her past or anything that would imply like why she would be into this guy who's clearly a sociopath. Yeah. Like there's no explanation. And then she's sort of like, no, it can't be true because we have like the perfect life. And I'm like, I mean, there would be signs, you know? Yeah. Like, and that's what I mean about her closing her eyes and mind to all of this. Like it does feel somewhat intentional, but at the same time, I'm like, how is this not, how is this like a shock to you? See the thing, the aspect of Anna's story that I liked that came way too late was when she becomes suspicious of Tom cheating on her. Yeah. And the idea of their relationship began when Anna was the other woman. Yeah. When Tom was cheating on Rachel with her. Mm-hmm. And now she's suddenly confronted with the fact that like, shit, I mean, if he did that with Rachel, why wouldn't he do it with me? Yeah. Like no matter like how good it seems. And she realizes like, I know he's a good liar. I've seen him lie. I know yeah. he lied to Rachel all the time. Like yeah. he's gotten away with this for like a long time. That's a great angle to her story. Yeah. Uh, to be like, how can I trust this man when our relationship began the way that it did? Mm-hmm. And I know he's a good liar. Like, that's really interesting. Unfortunately, like, I think because, spoiler alert, 
Tom is the root cause of all evil <laughs> in this story. Tom is the source of all that is bad in the world. <laughs> I think um, maybe the author is worried about showing her hand too early yeah. and bringing up that quality of Tom and that dynamic too soon in the story to like tip you off that he's responsible. But like, that's definitely the most interesting factor of Anna's story. Yeah. And if, If she didn't want to do that and like, you know, like you said, tip her hand too early, I do wish that there had been something in Anna's story to make it seem a little more believable as to why she might overlook these things. Yeah. And be like almost as delusional as Rachel is, you know, in imagining that she has this perfect life and perfect husband. Like, I wish there was a little bit more to explain why she would think that way. Yeah. By the way, just quick, quick side note. I'm sorry, but (laughs) can we please retire the trope of the pack of gossipy, catty, suburban housewives that have nothing going on in their life but to go to yoga and, like, gossip. Yeah. I don't know why. I just feel like I've seen that in the past three shows and movies I've seen in a row. Of And there's always, like, the main character who's like, ugh, I hate these women. Like, I don't want to be around these women. Like, these... (laughs) dumb bitches and i'm like uh, can we like yeah stop doing this yeah like can we stop like downplaying it's very like, demeaning it is yeah it's just writing off like it's writing off women who like to go to yoga or pilates and get fit and maybe like hang out afterwards and, and like, have friends yeah and, like, good, but like no they're gossipy of course they are like ugh. Yeah. i'm just like i i'm done i'm so done with this trope <laughs> sorry that was my side tangent <laughs> um But Anna's story leads to the point of her discovering a phone that she's never seen before in Tom's gym bag. Yeah. And she sees all these texts on the phone about like meeting times and is like, oh, my God, is Tom having an affair? And then listens to the voicemail and actually realizes that it's Megan's phone. That was a great reveal. Yes. I love in the book, though, she thinks that it's Rachel for a while. Oh, yeah. Like she thinks that Tom is like still is maybe having an affair with Rachel again. And I'm like, wow, that would be crazy <laughs> if that was true. <laughs> you mean fat Rachel? Oh, my God. They called her fat so much in the book. I hated it. Yeah, because I mean, she's like. I don't, it's not very clear in the book, like, how heavy she is. Just no. that she's, like, quote-unquote, like, overweight. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not <laughs> Probably not that fat, honestly. <laughs> yeah, but, um, so, yeah, discovering that it's Megan's phone is, I mean, for the reader, like, set in stone, like, yeah. holy shit, Tom was having sex with uh, Megan. And he definitely And he killed totally her. killed her because yeah. he has her phone now. Yeah. Uh... And this is like, this is so funny because in the film, every time we've seen Megan with the man she's having sex with. Yeah. I felt like it was so obvious that we're not, we're supposed to think that it's the therapist. Yeah. But it's so obviously not because the movie takes such pain to not show you the face of the man who's having sex with her. Yeah. Like, it's always so obvious that you're never seeing his face and you're like, okay, I'm supposed to think it's the therapist. It's obviously not the therapist. Like, I I, I get it. Um, The book does the same thing, though. Yeah. And I did not realize it. Like, I read the whole thing. And it was only later talking to Adina. And you were like, I mean, the book does the same thing by never naming the person she's sleeping with. And I was like, "I'm wait, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Because I thought the whole book that she was 
you know, having an affair with her therapist and then was also having this affair with Tom that she never like talked about, which I realize in hindsight sounds like I'm dumb. Well, I mean, we also like read the book like we have to read the book really fast. Like we record an episode every other week. So we're usually having to like kind of power through the book so I can see how you're like, okay, I just got to like finish this story so we yeah. can record. You might not have like paused to like think about that. Um, so don't feel bad, (laughs) (laughs) but it is funny. It's just like, it's funny that I thought the movie was so obvious about it. And then the book, like it went right over my head. (laughs) I do. I went back to one of those parts when she is sleeping with what we've later find out is Tom Yeah, and reading that. I do remember thinking it was like a little weird. I could, I didn't quite pinpoint the fact that it didn't name. Yeah. Um, uh, the therapist, like it just said, like he, yeah, he was saying this, and like after I had sex with him. So looking back, I I get it, but like if you hadn't told me that, <laughs> I would have continued to have believed that she was still fucking the therapist. <laughs> which I'm just glad that in the book the therapist was. I mean, yeah, okay, he still crossed like so many lines. Yeah, he still like kissed her and let her seemed into her. Let her suck his finger for way yeah. too long. <laughs> But I'm like, okay, at least it was like, it was not as extreme as him having like a recurring relationship with her. Yeah, he drew the line at some point, at least. (laughs) And how many fingers, we're not sure. (laughs) Um, So Rachel, after she kind of realizes that Tom has been gaslighting her for years, also realizes that her memory of that night was also Tom, like, feeding lies to her as well. Yeah, she remembers that he was the one who confronted her in the underpass. Yeah. And, um... Hit her with his keys? Yeah, and, like, cut her head. Yeah. And, And that the woman who she thought she remembered was... Anna Mm -hmm. with him was actually Megan. Because the book... They do look similar. Yeah. Um... And so when she realizes that it was Megan with Tom. She's like, oh, shit, he definitely killed her. He totally killed her. And she's like, you know what is the best idea now that I know this? I should just tell Anna. I should go to the house where Tom lives and tell Anna that it's Tom. And then we can, like, leave together because, like, she needs to be safe. And I, I shouldn't, like, tell the police at all or, like, let them know what I'm doing or where I'll be or anything. So... (laughs) Fucking stupid. So stupid. Like she's not even drunk right now. Clearly she made that decision sober. Yes. <laughs> Stone cold sober. Like, look, I know Anna is in danger in like a vague way. You know what I mean? Like, okay, she's married to a murderer. Yeah. Who's to say Anna doesn't know? Yeah. Or is in on it. Or yeah, exactly. Like that she isn't in on it. And mm-hmm. like if like, she seems to be safe for the moment. Like, she's not in immediate danger. Like, yeah. you know, Megan was killed, like, weeks ago. And Anna Anna's been is fine. fine. Like, you don't, you do not have to go to her rescue right now, Rachel. But she does. And she's like, okay, Anna, we gotta go. Like, Tom's the killer. And then Tom is like, hey. What was that? What was that you said? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tom shows up at home. Immediately. And it begins this whole, like, tense kind of standoff. I do like the moment when he kind of, like, takes the baby. Yeah. From, not forcefully, but kind of, like, takes the baby away from Anna. And is Mm -hmm. kind of, like, holding it as, like, 
a threat. Yeah. Like not Don't doing do anything. Yeah, not doing anything to the baby, not mm-hmm. even like saying anything about it, but just that visual of it. Yeah. Um he admits to this. He admits to the affair and like murdering her too. Yeah, which I don't know. There were things about this twist that like didn't really ring true to me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, like, I know we find out that like the murder was kind of an accident. Yeah. But like, okay, he's clearly a man capable of killing someone and hiding it. Yeah. I'm like, he would have killed Rachel so long ago. Oh, yeah. He drags <laughs> it out for like unknown reasons. I mean, he well, does- and I, I just even mean like in their lives because like, oh, Rachel yeah. keeps popping up drunk and like being a nuisance and annoying and like. Tom seems like overly trying to genuinely help her. Mm-hmm. Like re- going back and thinking back on it, like the number of times he like kind of, I don't know if he liked the attention. I think it, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. But even that seems like, I don't know, odd. Yeah. And he, he like totally blames Rachel for like all of this too. Yeah. Which, and I love her being like, no, you can't blame me for shit anymore. Like, I know what you're doing. Like, none of this is my fault. Like, I didn't murder anyone. He's like, I mean, in a way, aren't you responsible <laughs> kind of for Megan's death? Like, yeah, just saying. We do get a scene in the book and movie where we like get Megan's like final perspective of like her yeah. being murdered. Um, I don't really love the way this goes down in the movie. It felt, again, like overly gratuitous, like in the murder, just as I felt like Megan was overly sexualized and then she's like overly killed. <laughs> <laughs> like he kills her like three times. Yeah. You know? I No, I, I completely agree. It was like very, and I, I felt similarly in the book, honestly, like, I don't know. We know she gets murdered, like, at the end of the first act of the book. Yeah. You know what I mean? We know she dies. So then to continue with these flashbacks, we have her, like, realization about her past and, like... Her wanting to have this baby. Yeah, and then she's like, I want to have this kid. I want to move on. I want to come clean to everyone. Like, I want to, like... It's just really sad. And then to, like, just get her murder. Like, I don't know. It just felt, like, really kind of mean. Yeah. And just, like really dour and dark and i just like at the end of it i was like what was the point of even getting megan's perspective it just kind of felt like yeah especially in the film mm-hmm. in the film i was like why did why we, do we need to see her get murdered why do we need to see her at all almost? yeah 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 you know what i mean like we know she is killed and it's not like i don't know her plot line like yeah she has like an emotional growth which i mean like i'm not trying to say is like totally negated by the fact that she's killed Mm -hmm. but to a degree it kind of feels like it really is being mean to her character needlessly yeah i agree yeah and rachel decides that it's time to murder tom now (laughs) (laughs) yeah um we do get one kind of cathartic moment in the film where tom is like trying to egg her on into drinking and she won't yeah i'm like i guess this is like her character growth Mm -hmm. that she's like refusing to in this moment like she's passed tom's lies and stuff so i appreciated the intent of that yeah tom proceeds to break the glass over her head in the book he like hits her with a bottle and Mm -hmm. then like he just is beats her up a lot in the story it's like very hard to yeah to get through Rachel makes an escape attempt. She tries to. I love in the book, though, she does like smash his foot, yes. knees him in the head, yes. like rips his hair out. She, 
like, <laughs> like suddenly all the self, de- like she took a self defense class one day and then like yeah. it just comes back to her. <laughs> um, and then she makes a, an escape attempt out the backyard, but Tom catches up to her and then she stabs him in the neck. With a corkscrew. With, with a metaphor. <laughs> with a wine opener. Yes. Uh, <laughs> alcoholism. Alcoholism. <laughs> Which I couldn't help but be like, I don't feel like you could stab someone very well with a corkscrew. Like, they're very sharp. Yeah. But I feel like it would just only go, like, a little bit in. I don't know. Maybe depending on the placement. I don't want to think about it too much, honestly. <laughs> I don't like I don't like thinking about it. But yeah, she, she stabs him real good, and then he just dies i love in the movie you just see like anna watching from the window (laughs) anna is like i'm just gonna wait for this to play out before i like get involved yeah if it seems like tom's gonna win i'll just stay up here if it seems like rachel's gonna win i'll like go down i'll go down and then push the corkscrew deeper into his throat twists it into his neck um which once again this was another moment in the film that i just kind of started laughing at (laughs) like it was obviously supposed to be very emotional yeah but i don't i'm just watching her do that is like such a ridiculous yeah brutal murder (laughs) that i couldn't help but laugh about it yeah the police i guess are called and both anna and rachel say that it was self-defense and he was attacking her blah 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 So, like, you know, they don't get charged for anything. And then we get this, like, not really an epilogue, but an epilogue kind of being like, all right, that's over. (laughs) I know. Just, like, (laughs) such a vague. Rachel's apparently not drinking anymore, which is good. Yeah. We do get a line in the film during the interview about what happened where Anna says. Oh, yeah. Rachel was right. She was right about everything. And I'm like, that is completely untrue i was like what the fuck are you talking <laughs> rachel was wrong about almost everything until the end <laughs> she was right about one thing and it was only at the end at first she was like oh it was this the therapist he totally killed her yeah and like i'm gonna like figure it out and then she's like oh my god no it was scott it was i mean this is isn't maybe as overt in the film yeah like, i don't know if she ever really suspected scott i can't i'm not positive but like I think yeah. she did. And she's like, oh, my God, it's Scott. Like, it was totally Scott. He <laughs> killed her. And then, like, only at the end. Yeah. And then she at one point, she's like, oh, my God, it was I, I saw Anna there with with Tom. And then later she's like, oh, my God, no, it was Megan. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. She was absolutely not right <laughs> about almost anything. <laughs> yeah. And that's basically the end. So which one's better, Ian? Can you go first? I can, I can go first. <laughs> I, I can't even. I need a moment. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, here's the thing. The movie is actually really similar to the book. Yeah. Um, But I just don't think it works as well with this story. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the book, like, it, you know, has this narrative structure. It has the way that it's, like, kind of revealing this story. And I think there are certain books and plot lines that can translate well to films. And it's not, I'm not saying that this book could not be translated well to a film, I just don't think that the movie did anything interesting with it. It followed it a little too closely in the fact that I was often confused about like what was happening. Yes. Like we talked about. And it was just kind of boring, honestly. I mean, Emily Blunt was great, but everything else about it, like the plot line, the script, like the other actors, like not a lot that's gripping in it. And you want this type of story to be gripping. And I felt like the book at least had this high level of tension that the movie just couldn't compete with. 
Yeah, the movie was definitely, I agree, way too faithful to the book because the book, I think, had a lot of narrative issues where like characters are just doing things for reasons, mostly Rachel. Rachel is doing things for reasons that make no sense. Yeah. Like I I, I wrote a note down at one point that I laughed at because I forgot about. But like at one point, Rachel goes to Scott's house to tell him that she remembers that Anna was there in the what the tunnel the underpass yeah that she was there with tom the night she was attacked or whatever <laughs> and i read that and i'm like that makes no sense why why would scott need to know that no. what does that help yeah. what does that do anything um yeah so like the the book is already riddled with these like kind of logical you know weirdnesses where at least in the book like rachel can explain it so even though it's weird yeah, yeah. you at least understand what she's doing or why she's doing something. But in the film, when you don't have that and suddenly Rachel is just going to Scott's house, you're like, why is she doing this? Yeah. You know what I mean? It feels very random. Yeah. And similarly with like the police stuff and just kind of these like gaps in logic. Uh, Yeah. I just think it was way too faithful. Like this script needed kind of like, I think an overhaul. Yeah. Yeah. Punch up. Yeah. Um, really needed a heavy level of adjusting to like work as a film. And so it didn't do that mm-hmm. Um, for all the problems I had with the book. There were some moments of theme that I thought were like rewarding. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that I enjoyed and like even it was like a little more overt with Rachel at points being like the villain. Yeah. Which even though I don't think it went nearly as far with that as it should have. Like, we're still at least somewhat rewarding. Yeah. So, honestly, Emily Blunt is the best part of the film, her small moments. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, I will say book as well. For All right. This. So, it's book for both of us. And I just want to take a moment and read our listener Anna's thoughts on this adaptation. So, Anna says, What I love about the book is it never lets you develop a theory about who the killer is. Every time the book, changes to Megan's perspective, you shift your suspicions. Like when her therapist gets physical with her, you think it's the therapist. When she gets in a fight with Scott, you think it's Scott. Even when she talks about losing her baby, suicide crosses your mind. At least it did for me. Um, And when you start to suspect Tom, the book does a really good job of kind of debunking that suspicion with the fact that Rachel saw her with a different man. Uh, The great thing about the movie is it doesn't lose the appeal of the book. It does a great job of also keeping the viewer in the dark. Um, She also likes sprinkling in Rachel's memories. Rachel's memories Mm. are very important, but sometimes become lost because of her drinking. It's very organically hinted at and she organically recounts it. Though I love Emily Blunt, my favorite of the two is the book. While not actually being scary is an emotional roller coaster that I could only read at work surrounded by people. (laughs) My favorite thing about books is that when they're packed with details. So when you read them a second time, you notice new things. And this book does that perfectly. So I've read it like six times. (laughs) (laughs) And I can see how this would be a book that would be good to reread. Yeah, considering that I didn't uh, catch the fake out of Tom being the person uh, she was having an affair with. Yeah. Like, I can see the reward of, like, going back and reading those parts and kind of like, uh, like, I see what they did there. Mm-hmm. I'm also glad she mentioned the suicide thing. Yeah. Because I think reading, that's what I actually wanted the ending to be. Interesting. Was that, like, oh, my God, she just killed herself. And Rachel, for no reason, just inserted herself into this story, <laughs> destroyed everyone's lives, and... Was just like totally delusional the whole time. Yeah, that would have been interesting too. Kind of just subverting the whole murder mystery plot line. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I, I, I'm glad I, I like her thoughts, though. Yeah. Thanks for requesting this episode, Anna. Let's do lightning round. Let's do lightning. So first up for lightning round, we forgot to talk about the one good man. Yes. In this whole story, <laughs> this kind of mysterious redheaded man on the train. Yeah. That Rachel vaguely remembers seeing on the station the, the day she had the blackout and is like kind of trying to remember mm-hmm. in the movie. He seemed to be like creepily stalking her. Yeah. Uh, but in both versions, he was just like a nice guy. Yeah. Like in the book, I think they like got drinks at a bar together. Yeah. I forget at what point in the timeline that happened. <laughs> and then they just kind of went their own ways. Yeah. And then in the film, he's the one who finds her, um, bruised in the underpass and he like tries to help her up. Like yeah. he, he shoes away some teenagers and tries to help her up and she just like tells him to piss off and he's like. All right. <laughs> he like walks away and I'm like, I'd probably walk away too. Yeah. But I'm like, there goes the one good man. There he goes. <laughs> uh, next up for lightning round, I just want to say that in the book, uh, Rachel gets hit by a taxi. Yeah. And she's like sober when it happens too. Like she's just walking down the road and somehow gets hit by a taxi. And again, like we're hearing about it afterwards because of the way the book is structured. But she's like, oh, yeah, I had to, like, go to the emergency room because I got hit by a taxi. And I, I was I was fine. I was like, OK. And later is like, oh, yeah, I got hit by a taxi to, like, Kathy and, like, other people. And I'm like, why did she get hit by a taxi? Why is this important to the story? I don't know. And why wasn't she, like, more injured? Yeah. I think it was just an excuse in the book for, like, why she had the bruising and, like, mm. the cut on her head. Like... It was a narrative thing, so she could excuse that, I'm guessing. I guess. But yeah, it was just random. so random. <laughs> uh, there's a part of the mo- in the movie where uh, Rachel goes to talk to uh, Detective Riley mm-hmm. about, I think this is when she suspects Scott after he attacked her. And Detective Riley in the movie is played by Allison Janney, who is an amazing actress. I love her. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get a lot to do in this movie. No. But in the scene... Rachel shows up to the police station and Detective Riley is there and she's like, oh, come on, Rachel, like, come talk with me. They walk into the bathroom. Yeah. Where the detective proceeds to go immediately to the sink and wash her hands. (laughs) Oh, my God. While they're talking. And then they just have the discussion in the bathroom. Yeah. And I was like, why are they in here? Why did she wash her hands? Which leads me to believe, did Detective Riley leave the bathroom Cause she heard Rachel and not wash her hands. <laughs> and then it's like, Rachel, follow me. I didn't I, wash, I my hands to wash my hands after I took a shit earlier. So let me just <laughs> do this first. <laughs> I don't know. That is true. It was just really weird. Yeah. It was like, they wanted the setting to be in there for whatever reason, but there was no good excuse. Like she didn't use the bathroom. No, she didn't use know. the bathroom. She just went and washed her hands. <laughs> uh, so last or lightning round, I just want to mention there's a new adaptation of this book that just came out. What? Yeah, it's a Hindi adaptation. So it was produced by a company in India. So like a Bollywood oh my God. production. But it's set in the UK. So it has like Indian actors, but they are in the UK. Oh my God. Yeah, and it's in Hindi and it's on Netflix. I don't know if it's on like US Netflix or if it's only like Indian Netflix or what. I haven't like looked into it too deeply. It's a film though? Yeah. Okay. But they made it and apparently the ending is completely different. (laughs) Really? Yeah. And like the murderer and like everything is just totally different. Oh my God. I kind of want to watch it now. I know, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> if we knew about it, we could have done a bonus episode. I know. Wow. That's shocking. I had no idea. Yeah, because I was like Googling the girl on the train and like looking up stuff about it. And like all this oh. stuff was coming up from like India. Yeah. You know what? When I IMDb'd the movie earlier, that came up. I just assumed it was like a different. Like, okay, it's an Indian film. It just happens to share like yeah. the same name. No, nope. I didn't. Wow, it's an adaptation too. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, so check that out if you're interested. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe let's give this movie another crack. Like, uh, you know, yeah. I'm open. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. Thanks again to Anna for recommending it. Yes. Uh, please, you can tweet at us, Instagram us. Uh, email us, uh, Facebook do, do us, whatever. do it all. Go to our website, <laughs> coveredacredits.com for all those social media links and yeah. let us know what you think of this adaptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you think of um, the girl on the train. What did, you th- what did you think about the train? Should it have been yeah. more in the story? More prominent in the story. <laughs> um, also, just want to do a quick shout out to our Patreon page. If you'd like to support us, that's a really great way to do that. And you do get a lot of benefits from that. We have monthly bonus episodes and we put out episode schedules and uh, there's a lot of other really great stuff over there. So check us out on Patreon if you'd like to support us and we'll see you next time. Yeah. See you next time. Bye. Bye.